0: Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. We are in our, gosh, Michelle, third episode of our series going on, our book our book series. I'm super stoked about this. Let me just tell you, we have five books we're rolling through. It's actually forced me, Michelle, to dig a little bit deeper into reading um, and then take a look at multitude of books. So I'm like reading a bunch of crap because like I'm super eager to find like some really good ones for our listeners here. Um, I know we just came off of talking about the one thing, which if you're a business uh, person, entrepreneur, it's a great opportunity for you to read that book. I think Michelle and I heard about it at uh, Rachel Hollis's conference, um, but uh, it's also a great and tremendous opportunity for you to take a look and dive into it. If you're looking at it just on you know you as an HR professional or you as a leader in an organization, I know I talked about it on our last episode when I was discussing that book about how I navigate through books and I read it not only in in the format that it's obviously intended to be, um, but also in a way that contributes to how I contribute to my day to day and my work environment and human resources. So even if it's something like scientific, I'm like, how does this impact the workforce within HR or L and D or anything like that, right? So it's it's I don't know, I, I get a little nerdy like that. So today we are talking about emotional intelligence, and I it, there are so many books on this, so I'm. Going to let you know the one we're taking a look at is Emotional Intelligence 2.0. You can't necessarily go wrong with this one by Travis Bradbury and Jean Greaves. Um, Hopefully I got those uh, pronunciations right. It really challenged us to retake our EQ, our our emotional intelligence tests, um, to see where our EQ lies. Um, because, you know, it's, it's interesting, Michelle, um, they always talk about, uh, how depending on where you are in your life, you should take your emotional intelligence again. Like don't have it from like 20 years ago. If you're in a really stressful position, you should take it, um, or retake it. Um, and then if, you know, you change jobs, you should retake it again. So would love to hear Michelle, a little bit of your thoughts on emotional intelligence.
1: So first of all, I'm super excited, to dig into this book as well. So like you, I typically read all books from a view of how does this make my performance, my life, those around me, the people that I support better. And EQ is one of those things. It is a learned skill. It is absolutely not something that you're born with. First of all, don't get me started about born versus made because at the end of the day, if you can get better at something with practice, it means it can be made. It might mean it starts with some innate skill to begin with, but if you can improve with practice or learning then that means there is an element of made to it. And I believe emotional intelligence is absolutely one of those. And so do most of the experts that have written about the subject. I actually want to quote Aristotle. It's on the book jacket for the book that Maria just mentioned, emotional intelligence 2.0. And it says anyone can become angry. Now, Replace angry with any emotional words you can think of because it all applies here. Anyone can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way, that's not as easy. And that's really what emotional intelligence is digging into. It's how do you learn To channel or harness emotions in a way that is productive and helpful to the situation. Now, I am going to tell you, Maria, Maria and I tend to talk a lot, even if it's only through text. And the minute I retook my EQ and I got the results, I texted her immediately. And I was like, what the. Blank with this particular book, Dr. Bradbury and Dr. Greaves introduce Talent Smart. And Talent Smart is it drives the quiz and it also is a platform that helps you create a plan to improve your emotional intelligence. So I'm still not okay with being average, but when I looked at when I went to Talent Smart and I looked at the actual results. Because I'm telling you, I was like, no, you misscored me. Kiss my behind. It didn't happen. But when I looked at the actual questions and then I paused again to think about would I change my answer knowing that it (laughs) it made me average? The answer was no, I wouldn't have changed it because it was true when I said it the first time and it was true. Now that I realized I didn't like the answer, but it gave me three very specific things that I can work on to improve. And that goes back to that quote from Aristotle, which is knowing the right person, the right degree of anger, the right time to express it, the right situation to express it, and how to express it in a way that the other person doesn't shut down, right? Right learning to do those things simply makes me would make me even better when it comes to emotional intelligence.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I retook mine too. And my emotional intelligence changed, but I'm also at a very stressful point in my life um, in regards to career and a multitude of things going on. And so it actually scored me lower in relationship management than I had anticipated. But I always know it's an area of opportunity because I'm just very introverted anyways. And it asks you questions like, you know, are you outgoing or whatever? I can't even remember the question in social settings, right? Are you the first one to kind of jump out? And I'm never the first one to be like, over excited and exuberant in social settings. Like that's just not my thing. Um, And I obviously responded to all of the questions based on just my personal day-to-day life, not on how I manage things at work. I think if I would have responded to it in that way, it probably would have come out significantly different, but I wanted to make sure, you know, I responded, you know, in a way that just like I could like help focus on my own personal day-to-day. And so... It's interesting because in, in my personal life, my relationship setting is very different. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because at work people are like, oh, you're super outgoing and you go like you step and I'm like, yes, but I'm. I'm Cinderella on a stage like other than that, like I don't necessarily go above and beyond in my relationship management stages outside of work. But yeah, I found it very interesting because right now my relationship management is actually at a lower portion of my life. But that's because stress impacts some of those pieces, too. You're just like the last thing you want to do when you're super stressed out is just like continue those dialogues and conversations. So but I super enjoyed like just retaking the test and identifying that aspect.
1: So somebody told me once when we were, the very first time I did my EQ test, which was probably early 2000s, and you know I'm a big fan of, if you can make something even simpler than it already is, do so. Um, So here's the way I look at EQ, right? You've got person and others, okay? So it's sort of broken down, self and others, right? And then within each of those categories, it's awareness and here's how I describe it is your awareness and that's one category your awareness of yourself your awareness of other people's emotions and then the next bucket which is technically called self-management or management I call that the your willingness to do something about it so when I look at my EQ score what it tells about me is I am very aware like this part of it is high I am very aware of how I feel in most or all situations I'm also very aware how other people feel um and Maria you know me you know it's a it's something I've always taken pride in as a speaker or a facilitator is my ability to kind of feel and sense what's happening in a room And that's, that's a huge piece of it. And my score is really high there, but then there's the next piece of it. When you sense that, do you adjust in order to meet that emotion where it is? So it goes back to that whole anger at the right time with the right person in the right degree in the right situation. And what I found was that part of it, that management part for me too, Maria is super low. In fact, there were three questions that, and I'm pulling up my score right now. Hold on. Let's see. There were three questions. I was like, oh yeah, that's me. Do that all the time. So one of the things I need to work on is the question not holding back when your actions or your and your words are not contributing to the situation so for me i think the example of that it's the idea of i'm trying to come up with an analogy that's not as gross as beating a dead horse but i don't have one i don't have one so that's what we're going with is a lot of times especially in situations where we're trying to improve something or change something or get a person to approve or a situation to get better. Everybody could, we could all be on the same page and I still feel the desire to jump in and share my two cents, even though we're all in the same place. So it's definitely one that could work on. And then one of the other ones that bothered me as well was um, not making the most of all situations. So it goes back to that whole, Maria, you and I are both, whether whether it's stressful because of a pandemic and a great recession or a great resignation or in a, regardless of what's happening in HR, HR is a stressful field oh, for to sure. be a part of. And so when I am not playing the role of my job, I do tend to stay back and not make the most of situations because dude, I'm just tired.
0: (laughs) I can totally relate. I can totally understand that.
1: Not that that was
0: one of mine. I think mine was uh, tackling tough conversations. I think I do that so much in human resources as I'm mediating conversations the last thing I want to do is have any sort of conflict at home. I'm just like exhausted by the time I get home. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm whatever. I'm upset with you, but I'm just going to move on because I'm exhausted. I've literally mediated enough conversations for today.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's it's so true. It's when you have to give emotionally a lot in either your personal life or your professional life, like if one or the other skews towards giving of emotion, what you learn pretty quickly is to choose your battles. And I can't not mediate that conversation. I could transition it to another person if they're available, but someone is going to have to step in at work and mediate that conversation. I could just be like, you know what? I really hate When my fill in the blank with whatever relative you've got, my crazy uncle does that. But frankly, I only see him once a year. So who cares? And then I walk away. So you learn to choose your battles.
0: Yeah. One of the things I tell, uh, talk to my, you know, with my friends about, I'm just like, I only exhaust energy where energy is really necessary or where it's needed. I don't really exhaust my energy if I don't have to because it's already exhausted at work. So why? waste my time with breath if it's not going to be meaningful, right? It's like you said, like it's going to be my uncle who I see once a year. Well, whatever. (laughs) Right. Let them do whatever. I only see them once.
1: (laughs) So Maria, when you think about emotional intelligence, and we've heard this probably for the last couple of decades, that IQ with personality, with EQ, and sort of a combination of that is really what Lends itself to success in business, in entrepreneurship, um, or just in your personal life. Tell me your thoughts. Like how? How do we really justify that something as intangible as emotions impacts performance?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. When I don't really know how I feel about that, but it's. I think when individuals when i listen to individuals and organizations and they're like oh they must have a low eq like they go straight for that as opposed to truly understanding the dynamics and the circumstances or people are really curious about the the eq of somebody um within their teams and so i think yes that lends itself to something but i've also seen really successful individuals with low EQ in high up positions with an executive role. Me too.
1: I might've worked for one before...
0: Yeah, yeah, I may have worked for some too, or you know, whatnot. Um, but they've had low EQs, and they're in such successful positions. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily mean anything to the level of work that you attain. It's just really about how you are aware and how you're managing your awareness. And so going back to just finish off for our listeners who've never really understood or read this this book or whatnot, there's personal competencies, which is self-awareness, and then how you manage self or self-management. And there are social competencies, social awareness, and then the relationship management of how you're really aware of those those pieces in social settings. I think at times there are areas where you can identify that someone is more successful in their their EQ based on just how they're interacting with people. So you can see that and you can tie that to engagement surveys and how leaders are doing with their team, because some of the most responsive people are very aware of it, and they actually manage it well. Some people don't give a shit. And that's, (laughs) that's a whole nother level. But or, or you may not necessarily just be aware of it, right? Your whole self-awareness concept, you may be really self-aware in a ton of things, but you know, the examples that they use are just successful leaders when they're talking about someone low in self-awareness or, or social awareness, They have successful leaders, but sometimes they're missing the mark when their team's talking to them or identifying them. And that's, I think that's such an easy driver that you can just tailor and try to identify and really elevate yourself on is just like taking a moment, stopping and like being with your emotions for a moment or or just uh, being observant of your situations and your surroundings. Because we're such a driven environment, at least from a, um, a North America or US perspective, we're constantly moving and shaking. We don't take a moment to like self-reflect sometimes.
1: You know, and if you are in sort of that, like Maria mentioned, North America, United States, kind of that Western world philosophy is we don't bring emotions to work. And when I think through the best leaders I've ever worked for And the worst leaders I've ever worked for. The best leaders are the ones that show up as humans that not only recognize their own emotions and when they are stressed or need a break and they manage that piece of it well, but they also recognize that in their teams. You know, Maria, we spend a lot of time talking to leaders in particular, whether it's company owners or leaders within an organization. And as a leader, your job, I mean, like you have one job to get other people to buy into what it is you need done. And the easiest way for you to do that as a leader is to understand where they're coming from. And that includes their emotions. Um, because people, you can, you know, it's funny, as someone who started in the workforce. In the 80s, there were a whole lot of leave your baggage at home, don't bring your... We still talk about that in a lot of companies, but a lot more companies are progressive enough to realize I don't separate as a person. I am my work. I am my home. I am my emotions. I am the stressful situation I'm going through. I am the happy situation I'm going through. All of those pieces are what makes me the employee that contributes. And a leader's ability to recognize that and adjust to take a beat and pause when they need to is the difference between getting buy-in from their team and having team members shut down. I've absolutely, I think it's probably the most common thing I've seen is people who are very aware of how people feel about something but don't care and I'll give you one example um by the way guys as a teaser there's a book coming out from us at Real Talent you're going to love this book series on toxicity in the workplace because it comes from real experiences that we've had not just what we've heard from others, even though we've included other people's stories. But I worked for someone once who <laughs> literally her exact words were, I know they don't like it. I don't care. And that's really, that's the extreme of what I was talking about when I said I had average management, I did not say I had low management, just so you guys know, I have average management. Um, But her, she definitely had this awareness of the emotions and the feelings and the environment around her, as well as her own. But she was super vocal that she didn't give a crap. And she was not going to adjust to meet you, you would adjust to meet her, or you would get plowed over in the process, right? And so what happens is that person maintained, and that person was successful, like you had mentioned earlier, successful in her role. But what is your definition of success? And so when I say successful, I should take that word back. And I should say, she had managed to reach high titles within a corporate environment. But if you looked at the department as a whole, I'm not sure anyone open-minded would say successful. You were looking at a department that had, on average over the course of two years, between one to 200% turnover, it was very hard to keep people in that department for more than a year. A year was kind of that limit for most people that came in. And within the department, if you were to have talked to individuals, they would say there wasn't a lot of trust. There wasn't a lot of equity in how things were done. And that most people were just kind of hanging on until they could find something better. So I think that's another, it's a great example of, how you might be able to paint over your lack of emotional intelligence for a while but when people really start digging what they see is failure within your department so
0: how would you or what, what would you recommend for people i mean would you recommend i mean i i think we would recommend obviously this book right but for those pod you know those listening to the podcast today what are some things you recommend for individuals to really assist them with their EQ when they are going through a multitude of things like that, right? At the end of the day, you could be self-aware and be like a previous leader where like, they just don't care. Obviously some of those, it's like, well, all right, you're self-aware. You just don't care. I can't help you there. Like obviously right. the second part, the la- latter part of that conversation needs to adjust. But for those individuals who go in and take this test, what do you recommend individuals? Like, where do you recommend them to start in regards to doing that? Or maybe not even taking the test? What if they're just like, hey, I already know where some of my pitfalls are. Uh, I can't afford to take the test or buy the book, but give us some insights.
1: So I would say if it is your goal to have positive relationships, both both in your personal and your professional life. I'd say save yourself up some money. You can do the test without buying the book. And then the test is significantly less expensive. For the record, the book is only $25. That is less, less than most of you are spending on a week's worth of Starbucks. So maybe you go with just a drip for a week, um, instead of getting the fancy schmancy Starbucks. Um, and then that saves you up enough to purchase the book. It's not super expensive, um, at $25, but I think that what I found by looking at the plan that you can put together through the book is that there's some really good practices on where to start and what to do. You know, what, Guys, I've never held back, which is part of my problem and why I have average EQ, because I never hold back. But you've heard me say time and time again, there are some things that I know I do not do the best, but I'm at a point in my life where I'm not prepared to put the energy into it to change it. Um, I think you've got to self-reflect. So Have them help you put together that test and then look at the ones to see which ones you are willing to put the time, the energy, and the effort into to change. Now, just FYI, the previous experience that I mentioned, um, there was a way bigger problem than a lack of emotional intelligence. There was probably some emotional, mental instability going on. But that one, like Maria said, was not something that I or any book could have fixed because she did not want to be fixed. But if you are open for it, start with putting together that plan. You guys also know coaching is not for everyone, but for those of you that are like, I really need some hands-on, what's good about this plan is what you've heard us say over and over again. A lot of times it. Things boil down to the same half a dozen problems, and that's the reason platforms like this can put together a proposed plan of very similar problems anyway. But the truth is it's not customized for you, and so if you really need to dig deeper, maybe it is time for you to get a resource, whether that is a coach or a mentor or a friend or a confidant, someone who will not just give you lip service and tell you you are right, but will tell you when you are out of line or when you are not thinking in a way that's not helpful for what you're trying to accomplish. But you can start pretty cheaply with $25 before you stress about, do I need to go into customizing something?
0: Yeah, I like the test and the website because it gives you details um, in regards to like, hey, take a look at number 17. But I also like I'm a very hardcover book person, like I have to feel it. Um, So then I'm like going into the book and I'm like number 17 and relationship management. And so um, it's kind of nice, especially when it it talks about like in the um, first maybe like Fifty pages of the book. It's like what self awareness looks like. Dave, a regional service manager who has successful, you know, um, self awareness. Dave has clear long term goals. Doesn't make sacrifices for short term gains, etc. Right, and then it talks about like what lack of self awareness looks like, um, or what a lack of self awareness looks like. Right, someone um, with a, a low score. on occasion, Tina sh- stresses and sense of urgencies are projected push and push towards her team. She needs to become aware of how she's perceived. She can come across in a very uh, demanding, but I don't, um, believe she means to type of way um so you know it gives you examples and you're like oh okay yeah I can see that like uh you know someone being totally demanding like hey I'm stressed out and there's a million things I need to get this done um as opposed to really like taking a look and reflecting on how it's impacting someone else in conversation right now it's like self-awareness so so I, I like that the book gives some of those examples and digs into some of those. So really, I agree with Michelle if you can get the book, grab the book.
1: The tips are really pretty incredible like um and when I say incredible, we tend to use this phrase a lot. It's simple, but it's not easy. So like what you're gonna see when you read through these tips, Because you're going to be like, duh. And then you're going to be like, but then why haven't I done it my entire adult life? So they are really simple. They're, when you pause to think about it, they're very logical, but they're not easy to do. And you like, one of mine, tip number 10 was about acknowledging the other person's feelings. I find this in a lot of cases, personally and professionally, where people struggle to acknowledge your feelings especially if those feelings are the ones that people consider bad. And I don't mean angry, but like upset or sad or depressed, you know, all the ones that if they're anything, if they come from anything other than joy, people are afraid to touch them because they don't know what to do. And the thing is, in most cases, what you are doing by trying to divert or change the subject you know like the example they use in the book is someone's talking about the fact that they were really upset and the response was well you know what let's get back in and go to work it'll take your mind off of it no dude it will not (laughs) now I just have to juggle upset with the
0: demands of work right or well know your audience because for me that would totally work (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> would work for you. But then I also got this a lot in my personal life because I tend to, before it was beaten out of me in another job, I tend to come from a place of emotions. Uh, Marie and I have multiple friends in common, but one of our friends, Sarah, by the time I met Sarah, I had learned not to do what Sarah does. Um, And I had to reteach myself to be okay with that because I was taught that it wasn't okay to have emotions or to express your emotions, particularly in the workplace. And what I would get when I would express my emotions is people would respond by saying, no, that's not what happened. Well, hold up. I'm upset. It's my emotion. You can't tell me that's not what I'm feeling. I had a whole lot of, and that's the reason I stopped doing it, is I ran into a whole lot of people telling me it's not okay for me to feel that way, or that's not the way I felt. Um, When ultimately what people really are looking for is, I hear that you're really upset right now. I'm not sure how to help, but I'll be here to listen. I can do that for you. Or acknowledging when someone's angry. I remember my nephew, and I have no doubt that the therapist did not say it this way. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, but it is what my nephew heard. And I was talking to my nephew after he was um, probably 13, 14. And I was talking to him a few days after he had a session with his therapist. And he said, I said, you sound like you're pretty mad. And he said, no, I'm not mad because you can't be mad. You're not supposed to be mad. And I was like, "What do you mean you're not supposed to be mad?" And he said, "My therapist said I needed to control it." And I said, "No, mad is mad, and it's okay to be mad. You need to control what you do with it, not that you have it. Because we're all going to get angry at some point." Um, and I think that's a lot of it. And it's it's a world that work has not historically been comfortable addressing because who wants Maria, you have to mediate these conversations. He hurt my feelings. Nobody wants to talk about that at work because they have that in their personal life. And so we've just spent all of our corporate lives squishing it out.
0: Yeah, I can tell you a lot of people internalize it at the office. And so it makes sense because you internalize it so much. And as a result of what you're internalizing with your frustrations... You then see people like, you know, the great resignation that's happening right now. Like you see people just leaving organizations because they've internalized so much during COVID because obviously everyone's dealing with their own stuff and and everyone has their own things going on. How am I supposed to, you know, from an HR perspective, how am I supposed to have anybody help me with navigating my feelings when there's people out there you know people's relatives that are passing away from COVID. so i can completely understand that people are internalizing things and then that's a result of people just leaving the organization or they have voiced it in surveys or whatever the case may be and nothing's been done with it and so they don't feel as if they've been heard and i think that's another piece is you know when you take a look when you survey a population the goal is to not, it, you want to obviously solve for the masses, but you also want to go back and address even the, min, like the minor comments that were made, even if you can't solve for them or there's a financial impact to whatever the, the comments are, at least you go back and you have a discussion with the individual so that they feel like they've been heard. And that's the hard part about surveying a mass population, especially when you don't find out who it is and it's all anonymous it becomes a lot harder to get in and tap into someone's emotional intelligence or feel as if you, you're you having that bond through a survey. So yeah, it's it's super interesting the way that goes in different relationships.
1: Yeah, I think we've also seen an increase in both addictions and, and soft addictions. I mean, I think we could look at Amazon's success since the beginning of 2020 Um, And see, that soft addiction of spending right away skyrocketed, right? Or whether it's the harder addictions of, you know, drugs or alcohol. I mean, we joked about it during the summer of 2020, Maria. But I am not kidding you. Whiskey got me through 2020. I mean, not to the point that I was drinking it at work or at lunch or anything. But I don't think, especially that summer when it really hit the company I was working for very hard, I don't think there was an evening I didn't come home and have at least one drink with my, like I now have like 12 new favorite whiskey drinks as a result of COVID-19. And I'm not praising it. I am calling it what it was. It was definitely my version of coping with a negative addiction. I did not let that addiction get out of control. I do have addiction in my family. And so I'm always super, super cautious of letting myself get out of control with alcohol um, because that's what people in my family have done. And they are no longer with us due to that addiction. So I never let it get out of control because that's always weighing on the back of my mind. But there were days where I really, truly felt like I need this glass of wine or this um, drink. And by the way, jalapeno whiskey with lemonade is amazing. Ah, Interesting. I would never think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's what happens, back to the point, that's what happens when people are forced to repress their emotions for an extended period of time is what you end up with. And guys, again, I'm going to go back to easy, I mean, simple, but not easy. Like we've heard it our whole lives with your parents telling you don't bottle that up or you'll explode one day. Basically, that's what happens when you live in a world where you can't have an emotion. Again, we're talking emotion, not a reaction here. So acknowledgement of the emotion is all we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody coming in and throwing chairs around a room. That's that's the action or the result. We're simply talking about acknowledging the emotions.
0: Yeah. So, and I, and I think it's interesting because what uh, we're talking about in virtual environments, sometimes it's a little bit more challenging for people to tune in to emotions through a virtual realm, especially when some of the teams don't have cameras and you're just listening through a tone of voice. I feel like it's such a struggle.
1: The awareness piece of emotional intelligence has got to be on point. Um, As a coach, I actually prefer non-visual when I'm talking to my clients because people will use Certain words slightly out of context. And so, if I don't have the dis- distraction of that visual, I can really get attuned to the words that they're choosing, as well as the tone of voice and how they sound when they're expressing certain things. And as a coach, you do sometimes dig into uncomfortable situations like emotions or people's anger or frustration. And when I can tune out the visual right now, I'm putting my hands up so I don't see Maria's face. When I can not be in a situation where I'm not distracted by that, it makes it easier for me to focus or learn from the nuances of their voice.
0: Interesting, because I think people would think it would be the opposite. But you're saying you do have to have a higher level of that in order to be in tune.
1: Yeah, you do have to have a higher level. And it should be different because if you look at every study ever done, visually is um, something crazy. What is it, like 70 or 80% of how we interpret um, a message comes from the cues that we get visually, whether it's like the raised eyebrow or the arms crossed, et cetera. I find those things to be distracting because I break all of those body language rules. Like as a facilitator, we were told things like, don't ever put your hands on your hips because it looks confrontational. I break all those rules. So for me, it's easier to ignore those and to pay attention to what I'm hearing. Yeah, that makes sense. But you do have to be better. And you have to be willing to ask some really great drill down questions. I think that's why facilitators are, um, and you, me, and uh, Keith came from that world. And we've lived in that world for a long time. I think that's why we're better at this, is because we learn to listen in a way that allows us to dig deeper. To get to what we're looking for.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot easier from our perspective, right? When we have that. But it, it's challenging. And I will challenge individuals who are interested in doing it on the call with their teams, um, or for themselves on one-on-ones with your direct reports or your peers to 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 do it. Um, I'll go on camera when I have to, but I'm not a huge camera person. I feel like it's exhausting to me. So I feel like my peers have a better understanding of me because they're listening to the tone of my voice rather than my facial gestures. But I get that sometimes too when my other peers aren't on camera sometimes. So it's pretty exciting to have it go both ways.
1: I think it is a matter of doing it both ways. And it's even going back to advice we've given people time and time again that the topic, the topic of the communication should directly be linked to how you are communicating. So for example, if I'm doing a weekly team meeting, I might say, we're going to do some recognition, some hellos, some small talk the first 10 minutes, everybody on camera. And then after we get through some of that kind of happier stuff and we get to the numbers or the facts or crunching the performance, then it might become an optional. You stay on if it works for you or not. On a one-on-one, I'd probably be more likely to do those where they're either all visual and maybe the next one is just the telephone and bounce back and forth. Because most grownups are self-aware enough to mask their visual appearance on zoom they might not be if they were in the room if they were in the room with you you might see that they're distracted doodling they're tapping their feet you might see them lean back bored in their chair most people on zoom have figured out how to cover that face up enough that you're really not going to gain a lot of information visually in that situation yeah it's true.
0: So Michelle, any, um, any takeaways for listeners on this book?
1: First of all, it's okay to be average. (laughs) Okay. It's also okay to need to work on something because quite frankly, there's no such thing as perfection. And if there was, it would be sort of a boring life. So Start there. I would say look into your EQ, even if you want to start with asking trusted people how they think you do when it comes to being aware and managing your own emotions and being aware and helping support other people's emotions. Ask someone you care if you're not ready to invest in a really good book.
0: Love it. And to leave it, leave this with the listeners again from Aristotle. Anyone can be angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and the right way. This is not easy. So make sure you tune into your emotional intelligence, everyone. Until next time. Take care. Bye. Bye, guys.